0: hello there you are tuned in to almost 30 podcast a podcast
1: that's been around for seven years mm-hmm. we started during our transition from our 20s to our 30s but it's become this like crazy accurate metaphor for really any transition in your life i'm Lindsay Simsick. this is krista williams we are actually best friends in real
0: life. true life it's it's true. And Sometimes when you got married, people would be like, "Are you going?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm going." <laughs> what kind <laughs> of like, what kind of <laughs> life would that be? <laughs> imagine how imagine not liking each other and spending so much time together. It would be impossible. It, impossible. It'd be a nightmare.
1: Yeah, we can't. Oh, I'm sure that happens more often than not in like public duos. Probably more so in like. Hollywood settings yes. where it's like forced upon you. Yep,
0: they're like you're a redhead, you're a brunette, you're yes. a duo. Yes, and they're like mm. they're like you fit the stereotypes we're trying to fulfill for this boy band. Yes, <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> we're so grateful to have mm-hmm. you here. Today's episode is with the one and only Jay Shetty, who is truly the greatest there ever was. Yeah, it was such a pleasure to sit down with Jay and talk about his new book, Eight Rules of Love: How to Find love, keep it, and let it go. It was our second time having him on the podcast, so definitely listen to the first episode if you haven't already. We also had his amazing wife on our show, which was truly such a joy. We Mm -hmm. love Roddy, and I'm really excited to dig into relationships with Jay. Yeah, I love
1: Jay because he really walks his talk. You know, he has an incredibly big, expansive platform, and every time he comes and we've spent time with him, you know, he is just as grounded as you think he is, just as kind, just as generous and deeply doing the work himself in his own relationship. And I just think it's it's really, really special to, mm-hmm. to not find that like gap between what you're saying online or writing in a book and how you're living your life. So I just, I love, I love being around him and being in his orbit and just watching him do what he does. But eight rules of love. I feel like whether it's romantic relationship which is this this is what this book is centered around but there's so many applicable points of this book that I find helpful in many different types of relationships too.
0: Yeah, in this conversation one of the points that we talked about that I wanted to just bring up in the intro a little bit was around solitude versus loneliness. Mm-hmm. In our culture and society we talk a lot about feeling alone. You know, if you're staying in on a Friday night you're alone rather than in solitude. And I think even that word flip can be really powerful and important because when you're in solitude, it's chosen. And when you're alone, it's almost chosen for you. Mm. And how can we really get our power back with spending more time in solitude, with spending more time by ourselves, with spending more time choosing to be with ourselves? And I think so many of us feel very lonely. You know, there's a loneliness epidemic that's occurring in the world we're more connected than ever, but we feel very lonely. So how can we find moments in time where we're choosing to be with ourselves as the ultimate act of self-care?
1: Yeah. And in past relationships, whether romantic or friendship, or even sometimes with family, I've felt lonely, not because there's no one around me, but because I haven't been being myself and, or communicating how I feel or my desires and, that can feel incredibly lonely when you're not being seen, witnessed, connected to as who you really are. And so, yeah, I just wanted to echo that where you can be in a relationship and feel lonely. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. As a Pisces, that's my MO in life is to share everything, but feel like no one knows anything about me or not feel actually connected to people. And I had that realization maybe two years ago where I was like, oh, I'm always going to feel alone if I'm not showing people who I truly am. Mm. If I'm not able to be myself, if I'm not really saying how I feel, if I'm not also giving people access to all parts of me. And I think when I did my darkness retreat recently, that was one of the things I really thought about is how conditional I am with myself. You know, I only love myself if I'm successful. I only love myself if I look this way if this is going this way in this relationship, or, you know, I'm perceived this way. And how can I really break down that conditionality? Because I'm always going to feel like I'm abandoning myself if there are rules to how I deserve to be loved, or Mm. there's a way in which if I only do these things is when I'm loved.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. The conditions is such an interesting thing, because I feel like it's something we as adults really have to be aware of because I feel like as children, there's so many conditions put on us and that that is expressed in different ways. I think for me, it's like, mm, shows up in like this perfectionism. Yes, um, And I don't think my parents expected me to be perfect, but there was kind of this expectation and, and a conditionality to um, how I felt their pride in me or things like that. And then I noticed like when I was single and dating, I was putting so many conditions on these potential partners. I was like, yeah, it was just this filtration system that was so distorted and I wasn't really able to open my heart because I had placed all of these conditions on the other person and it was... What I realized really how many conditions I was placing on myself. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's like a, a constant
0: shedding, mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, especially in partnership. It's huge. Mm-hmm. Something else we talked about in this podcast was talking about conflict, mm-hmm. which is huge in relationships. And I think it's like the unsexy thing. It's the thing that seems really challenging. And it's the thing that can either make or break a relationship. If you're unable to navigate conflict in partnership, you're not going to make it. You're going to become further away from yourself. You're going to become further away from each other. So we talked a lot about that, how important it is. And I think one of the strategies that Jay has talked about many times before that's really impactful and super simple that I think you and Sean use in your relationship is around having this argument be a shared goal or vision Mm -hmm. so that you both win, And that's even a negotiation strategy. Mm -hmm. So how can we both be on the same page to look at this problem together and not be you versus me or me versus you? And I think even in friendship, that's really important. Yes. In a business, that's really important. How can we sort of pull this part or this ickiness or this hardness off of all of us Mm -hmm. and just sort of like set it on the table and be like, what's happening here? Mm -hmm. You want this. I want this. You feel this way. I feel this way. How can we look at it objectively rather than identifying so much with it?
1: Yeah. And it it depends on the day. Sometimes my ego's like, oh yeah, the other person is the issue, Mm -hmm. you know, and
0: it's so us versus them or
1: or me versus them or I'm like, this is not about the problem. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, it's such this like internal push and pull, but it's so true. You know, I think there's could be two things happening, right? Where there's like probably a conversation that needs to be had about like, a particular pattern that might still be showing up in a relationship dynamic but then yeah and it's it's helpful for me to like almost have a visualization of resituating where we're talking face to face and or conflicting face to face and like bringing that person right beside me so i'm like we're looking at what's happening we're looking at the problem and even if we're approaching it differently we're still shoulder-to-shoulder, side-by-side, and not feeling that, like, intense confrontation.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we do that when we're having hard conversations, walking mm-hmm. and being side-by-side. Yeah, it's side. very helpful. It's so helpful because there is an intensity of energy that's felt between people when you're sort of looking at each other or, like, facing each other directly. I think it's really beautiful and very intimate. It's like a primal—I I think of dogs. If dogs yeah. are walking— straight on
1: towards yep. each other. Uh-huh. That's why a lot of times when dogs are walking on the sidewalk coming towards each other, they might have a reaction yes. because that's very confrontational. Miranda taught us that, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then if they look away, it's like kind of nice. They calming like, signals yes. mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, dog calming signals is not making eye contact, looking away. And I actually think that's the same with cats because sometimes mm. all I be playing with sometimes I'm staring at my cats and I'm like they scratch your eyeball yeah I'm like we're we're cats in the wild fighting anyways there is so much beautiful information in this episode I'm so grateful for Jay for coming into the studio again we love you so much we are so grateful for your friendship and your partnership and I'm really excited about this book the book is out now it is eight rules of love by Jay Shetty and I know you're going to enjoy yeah Thank you so much for choosing Almost 30. We know
1: there's a lot of podcasts out there. If you're not subscribed already, please do so. And if you haven't shared an episode of ours with a friend, it's something we recommend doing not only to help us and just support us, but really to start conversations with people that you love and feel connected to. I find it's a great way to just go deeper on any topic that we discuss on the show So enjoy this episode. We will see you on the other side. See you soon. Bye.
2: With Think Like a Monk, it was good to have my face on the cover because it had elements of my story. Mm -hmm. And while I do tell stories about me and Radhi in this book, this book is not about our relationship or about our experience. It's Mm -hmm. about relationships. And so I didn't want this to ever feel like a book of I've mastered relationships. Look how perfect my relationship is. Learn from me. That's not what this book is this book, like all my other work is me studying something, Mm -hmm. me coaching clients, working with people, and then trying to extract the lessons and saying, here's what I learned Mm -hmm. by watching, observing, coaching, researching. And I felt that I wanted something bold and beautiful on the cover Mm -hmm. that almost felt like you were part of a movement as well. Mm -hmm. And I thought, how beautiful would it be that Millions of people across the world, billions of people are going to see the word love every day Mm -hmm. in a very bold, beautiful way. And even if that just, even if they don't buy the book, but it injects some love into Mm -hmm. the world, I think that's a good thing.
0: I was curious about why a book on relationships and love? I mean, you could have done so many different things after, you know, your first book and then the second book of quotes but why love and relationships?
2: What could I have done? Tell me. I want to know. What should I have written about?
0: Um, best <laughs> hair, how to be, <laughs> how to crush entrepreneurship. <laughs> I feel like it makes sense, but, you know, when I think about love and relationships, it's like a very kind yeah. of narrow focus when you usually are so broad. Your life, yeah. you're a purpose coach. You could it on purpose.
2: Yeah, so I so. have, no, and I, and I really appreciate that. And I think for me, I've always talked about how there are four important decisions you make in life. And this is something that I developed a few years ago. The first decision is, how do you feel about yourself? That is one of the most important decisions you make every single day. When you look in the mirror, when you wake up, when you're talking to your partner, when you're talking to a friend, what do I feel about myself? Mm -hmm. The second most important question, or the second most important decision we make every day, or what we do is, who we choose to give our love to Mm -hmm. and who we choose to receive love from. The third most important decision we make in life is what do we do for money and how do we make money? And the fourth most important decision we make in life is who do I serve and how do I serve? How do Mm -hmm. I contribute back to the world? And so I am working through writing a book on Mm -hmm. each decision and after answering Think Like a Monk answers the decision of how do I feel about myself? That's what it's dedicated to. I was just sitting down with so many friends, so many clients, so many people where their relationship was the cause of their greatest Mm -hmm. pain and suffering. So I knew people who were incredible entrepreneurs, but their relationship was on the back burner and they didn't feel fulfilled. Or I knew people who were starting something cool up But because they didn't have a partner, they didn't feel complete. Or I knew people who'd got divorced and broken up and they had a beautiful relationship with their kids. They had great friends, but they still felt inadequate because they weren't in a relationship. Mm -hmm. And so I just saw relationship as like the core of so much human happiness. And when I interviewed Dr. Robert Waldinger, he talked about how this 75-year study at Harvard, he's the fourth professor to complete the study I think he just told me it's now 85 years. They've been looking at humans Mm -hmm. and watching humans' lives for 85 years. And the number one thing that human happiness came down to was the quality of our relationships. And so I felt as someone who loves serving and supporting people, I couldn't avoid this topic. And I think I was drawn to it because of my own mistakes in the space, my own successes in the space, and looking at both those around me.
0: Mm -hmm. Something you and Roddy have talked about that I thought would be a beautiful way to sort of start the conversation was kind of understanding the landscape for how we understand love today. So I know you talked a lot about Bollywood culture and sort of like happily ever after. And I've been thinking a lot about that too, as far as the programming around relationships. You know, I remember my life was once you get married and have kids, it's like, bye. <laughs> you know, there wasn't any other resources or support. And I, My parents separated, and now I have so much compassion for them because I'm like, oh my gosh, like now I understand what it takes to build a healthy relationship. And Mm. it's not just happily ever after. So I'd love to talk a little bit about your upbringing, the Bollywood experience, and sort of where we are today as far as our understanding of love.
2: Yeah. So for anyone who has never watched a Bollywood movie, Bollywood is like Hollywood on romantic steroids, (laughs) right? So if you take a rom com and then you add music, dancing, more colour. Oh, more colour <laughs> over dramatic stories of love and sacrifice and surrender, you get Bollywood. And I grew up on Bollywood and Hollywood movies. And to me, I loved rom-coms growing up. Like I love rom coms. And I think that's a big impact on my mom, like watching rom coms at-, at home and, you know, us getting together and watching them and me wanting that kind of fairy tale love. And I can definitely admit openly that I wanted a fairy tale kind of love. I wanted a Rom-com kind of love Mm -hmm. Because you start to realize that That's the only images of love that you see And then I started to think about Other images of love I saw My family didn't have great relationships So there were no good images of love there That I could say I want that If anything I was saying I don't want to repeat that And then if I looked at my friends, parents Or I looked at extended family I didn't see any great images of relationships there either So the only happy relationships I saw Were in movies So then that became my image of that's a good love story. And I think I pursued that and chased that a lot only to feel really disheartened every time because you couldn't recreate a movie in real life. It just wouldn't work. And so when I talk about my upbringing, I found a lot of habits that I didn't want to repeat in my own life. I saw a lot of things that I would never want to replicate. And I started almost making a mental note saying, I don't want to argue like that. I won't behave like that. I won't speak like that. Anything that I saw that was hurtful or damaging, I almost made a mental note saying, I don't want to be a part of that in my life. I don't want that to be my behavior. And then everything I saw in the movies, unfortunately, I wrote a list going, I want that. I want that. I want that. So I was like, I was getting 50% right. And then I was getting 50% wrong. And you know, you have to let life humble you. I think that's what's so beautiful about this whole journey is that life shows you what reality is. And I think a lot of us are thinking, how do I get my relationship right? Or what did I get wrong? Or how do I find the right person? Or I just met the wrong person. And I don't think it's about right and wrong. It's about reality. And reality is right in the middle of right and wrong. And so if you just go, what is the reality of what I'm experiencing? What is the reality of what's possible? Reality is a much healthier metric than right or wrong.
0: Yeah. And I think, so in addition to the media programming in Bollywood, there's also social media. Mm. And that can also portray a certain type of love. So people nowadays are figuring out relationships from social media or looking at social media as kind of like the new TV. How do you think that impacts people and their relationships? And, Do you have any advice for how people should sort of navigate social media if they're looking for relationship advice or expanders?
2: Yeah, wow, what a great question. And you're right, social media is the updated version of rom-coms or Bollywood movies or whatever it may have been. So there's two sides to this. Everyone's allowed to share and show whatever they want to share and show of their own relationship. It's up to you to decipher and learn to create distinctions in what's reality and what's an image that you're seeing. And I think I like to take that responsibility on myself because I don't think you can expect everyone in the world to change how they communicate. And at the same time, when you take that responsibility for yourself, now you're in a position of strength. And if you're someone who has real relationships and you're spending time connecting with real people, you will know that every couple argues, you will know that every couple goes to sleep sometimes not talking to each Mm -hmm. other. You will know that people wake up angry next to each other. You will know that people wake up the day after their wedding and have the worst argument Mm -hmm. they've ever had. You know people who are about to get married and are fighting the day before they get married Mm -hmm. because of all the pressure and stress. If you have real friendships and real relationships, social media actually doesn't get as much of a hold on your mind as it could. Whereas I find that if we're not investing in real friendships and real relationships and no one ever tells you, like, I've been really fortunate. I've always had friends that are older than me. Mm. And I think that's been one of the biggest techniques of growth that I've life-hacked is that I've always had friends who are older than me. And having friends who are older than you meant that they made mistakes before you. They were able to share their learnings with you. They were always ahead of you in life decisions so they could come back and share their notes. And so I had so many friends who would say to me, hey, Jay, like, I got married for this reason. I think that didn't work out for me. Mm -hmm. Or, hey, you know what? I think I rushed having kids. I wish I slowed that down. Or, you know, I wish me and my wife had that conversation up front. We should have talked about it then, not 10 years later. And so I was almost collecting all of these great pieces of insight. And then I was able to use their hindsight to help me Mm And so again, if you have these real friendships and real relationships where you're vulnerable with each other and you talk about Mm -hmm. these things, you're not using social media as your frame of reference. You're looking at real life human experience as your frame of reference. In the same way as if I see a picture of Bali on Instagram, or I talk to my friend who just went to Bali, who's going to give me a better insight on what that experience was actually like? And I think if you have a friend who just went to Bali, that's who you'd go to. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think our relationships, our depth of connection, our vulnerability with our friends and the people we love saves you from using social media as a frame of reference.
0: Mm, That is like the
2: biggest facts.
0: I want to talk about in the book, kind of moving from the dating period to relationships and then even breakups. So in the book, I really loved this part about solitude and solitude being the antidote to loneliness. I'd love to talk about that cuz most people will listen and they're like, um, those are the same thing. So how are they different?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was Paul Tillich who talked about how there's a difference between being alone and being lonely. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how or being alone is like the strength of being alone, but loneliness is the weakness of being alone. Mm. And it's really interesting that in the English dictionary we have two words for being alone, one's alone and one's solitude, but we never use the word solitude. So we always say, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm going to be alone tonight. Right. Mm -hmm. We say, oh no, I'm just going to stay in and be alone tonight. Mm -hmm. Or if you were at school and lots of people didn't come to your party, you'd always be considered less popular. A loner. A loner. Exactly. (laughs) If you're the person at the lunch table who's Mm -hmm. sitting alone, you're the loner. Mm -hmm. If you turn up to a wedding and you don't have a plus one, it's like, oh, poor you. Like, Mm -hmm. when are you going to get married? Like, When's your turn? Yes, 100%. And of course, you know, and so that's the language. We've made being alone an enemy. We've made being lonely the enemy. And we all know this. This is common wisdom today that we can all feel surrounded by so many people and still feel disconnected. Mm -hmm. That's what we all experience pretty much every single day. So being alone doesn't mean being alone is not defined by your physical proximity to people. Being alone is defined by how well you understand yourself and how well others understand you. If you don't feel understood by your friends, you will feel alone. If you don't feel you understand yourself, you will feel lonely. So solitude is a space you create to take the time to get to know yourself. And I know that sounds strange. It's like, what do you mean I need to get to know myself? Shouldn't I just know myself? Don't I just know myself? And I equate this to something I learned during my time as a monk. I was going to say,
0: this is monk vibes. Yeah, it is monk, It is full of monk <laughs> vibes.
2: And the book starts with that because I do feel like the only reason I'm able to have a healthier relationship with Radhi today is because she's the only person in the world who's experienced me after living three years as a monk. So she's the only person I've been with after that experience. And anything that i'm trying to get right in my current relationship comes from what i learned during that time and so there's this beautiful experience that i had where on my first day when i became a monk or monk school that i see a 10 or 11 year old teaching like 6 year olds how to meditate or doing a class and i'm wondering what's going on and so i'm you know peeking and trying to figure it out and then i go up to the teacher who's you know 10 11 years old <laughs> afterwards and i'm like what did you just teach them? And he said, oh, that's their first day of school. And I was like, amazing, what did you teach yeah. them? And he said, well, what did you learn on your first day of school? And I was like, ABCs and one, two, three, maybe, yeah. like maybe, I, don't, I can't even remember. And he said, well, I was teaching them how to breathe. And I was like, what do you mean you're teaching them how to breathe? Like we just breathe. And he said, well, think about it. He said, the only thing that stays with you from the moment you're born mm. to the moment you die is your breath. He Because when you're happy, what changes? your breath. When you're sad, what changes? Your breath. When you're ecstatic, what changes your breath? When you're nervous, what changes your breath? Because your breath is interconnected to every emotion in life. So when you learn to navigate your breath, you learn to navigate life. And I was just thinking that just blew my mind at the time and it still does today. And even now, I think about how every emotion we say, well, that's breathtaking. You just took my breath away. Like everything is related to the breath. So similarly, everything is related to the self. So just as simple as it sounds of like you should learn how to breathe, that's how I feel when I say you should spend time alone. Mm -hmm. It sounds really basic and obvious, but there is a whole wisdom behind it. And the reason I say it is because when you get into a relationship and you don't know yourself, What ends up happening is 10 years later, you blame that person for taking away who you were. You argue with them three months later and saying, You made me lose who I was. Mm -hmm. But you never lost who you were because you didn't know who you were in the first place. So you adopted all of their behaviors, all of their beliefs. You accepted whatever love they gave you and then started to discover that it didn't live up. Mm -hmm. So you could save yourself from so much pain and so much suffering. If you started out knowing what love meant to you, mm. how love felt to you, what love looked like to you.
0: Yeah, I think, so I guess even going on that, like how can people really think about that? Because I've thought about this a lot where I don't know how much people really understand what true love is. Like mm. unconditional love is so rare. And I'm even someone that, I just did a darkness retreat last week. and oh, it was so cool. It was so cool. very. <laughs> psychological. Um but in it I was like do I know unconditional love? Mm-hmm. Like the love of the creator, yes, but still sometimes love feels conditional. So how can people really figure out what love is for them and how love feels?
2: Yeah, I break it down into three key areas and my and I recommend everyone defines love. Yeah. I think what was beautiful about ancient traditions and when you look at the word we only use one word to describe love, Um, love. And what's fascinating about that word is someone could say, I love you. And it means they want to spend their life with you. And someone could say, I love you. And it means I want to spend one night with you. mm -hmm. Like literally it can be that extremely different. And so the challenge is when someone says, I love you, you don't stop to ask them, Hey, well, what do you mean? Like, do you mean tonight? That. Do you mean today? You're do like, you mean for the first time? I forever? love you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They're yeah. like, hold on. Yeah. Yeah. What do you mean? Yes. Jay, Jay told me to ask yes, you yes. what you mean. Yes. And we don't do that. And, I, and I'm not asking you to yeah. do that in that moment, but it is interesting that when someone says, I love you, you accept their words, but you're really accepting your meaning of love. Mm. Right? If someone says, I love you, you're actually saying, Oh, I think they mean what I mean by Mm -hmm. love. And now they love me. And then you say, I love you back, which means you're projecting your definition onto them. And you never had a conversation about what it meant. Mm -hmm. So for me, I've defined love, and I share this in the book and I share exercises, innate rules of love, of how to answer each section. I define love with three key areas. One is you like their personality, it's the most obvious, basic form of love, is that I enjoy their company. I enjoy being around them. I genuinely appreciate spending time with them. I maybe admire some qualities that they have. Now that you could feel for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So that in and itself is not love. And I think that's the challenge, Krista, that the challenge we have is that we see attraction as love mm-hmm. or we accept validation as love. So we're almost taking payments in attention, pretending that it's love. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so the receipt doesn't says love. The receipt says attention. But we got paid as if we were like, oh no no. But that person loves me because they give me attention. They give me validation. They Contr- complimented. Control sometimes controlled.
0: It's like they're doing everything I want.
2: Exactly. I Ooh, love them. I love that answer. Only
0: when they're like doing everything I want, saying what I want, do I love them.
2: Yeah. Or yeah. Or ownership. They take yes. care of everything. I don't have to think about anything. I accept that as love. And so. That in and of itself is not enough, but it is a pillar. And I think what happens is, Krista, is that we want to accelerate attraction or liking someone into love so fast Mm -hmm. that we don't want to do the unsexy, uncool, uninteresting work of actually falling in love with someone or building love with someone. Mm -hmm. The second part of my definition is that you respect their values. Now this, I'll go deeper because everyone always hears about respect. What I mean by respecting their values is you don't want to change them. You actually respect why they live their life the way they do and how they live their life the way they do. You're not trying to change or transform or make them transform what they care about. You love what they care about because you see it brings them joy. In mine and my wife's relationship, it took me a while to understand. So my wife's number one priority is her family. Mm-hmm. Family is her biggest value. And you've, you've interviewed her and, mm-hmm. you know, you guys know each other. And my value is my purpose. Like it's very clearly my purpose. Very clear. Very clear. <laughs> and I've always, I've always known that. My yeah. wife's known that from day one and I've known hers from day one. So it's, it helps. But my wife has never tried to make my number one value family. And I've never tried to make her number one value purpose. It just won't work. Her family is her purpose. That's how she would see it. And I would see my work as my purpose. And so the point is that you have to respect each other's value in order to truly have love. And I find most people like someone's personality and they don't respect their values. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to change their values. They're like, I want your value to be me. Mm -hmm. I want your value to be my family. I want your value to be travel. I want your value to be this. Like you're trying to control someone's values, not love. And then the third and final step of my definition of love that I share in the book is wanting to help someone towards their goals, wanting to support someone towards their goals. That is real love. Like I may like a lot of people, I may respect what they value, but there's very few people in the world that I'm going to say, I'm going to stand with you and I'm going to make sure you get to where you want to go, whatever that may be. That requires the greatest commitment to someone. In saying, not just like a friend, like, oh, I'll help you. I'll network and I'll connect. Not that kind of thing. I'm dedicated. My life is dedicated to helping you get to your goals. And I know you're going to help me back to Mm -hmm. mine. I still recommend everyone comes up with their own definition of love. I talk about in the book how the Greeks, the ancient Greeks, had seven different words Mm -hmm. for love. Uh, They have family love. They have affection. They have passionate love. They define it. But today we just put it Mm -hmm. all into one. And so if someone pays us a compliment, they're kind. We're like, oh, they love me. They're really great. They're wonderful people. And we almost, we halo effect qualities. So we take one quality that someone has and we blow it up and go, they must be great at everything. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I think with love too, it's like in the social media world, you're like, love you, love. And I think it's a girl thing too. We're like, love you, love you, love you. And it just kind of. I'm like that too. I mean, we're all, it's like we do. And then I'm like, but I want to love everyone, but. How am I saying this to my husband and then like a person online? But I think it's interesting listening to what you were saying because you could really see how clearly it's, or how important it is to know yourself. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't know your values, if you don't know your goals, you're going to get really lost within trying to find a definition. Taking supplements
1: will never be the same after you try Symbiotica. We had Chervene, the founder of Symbiotica on the podcast not too long ago, and whoop, blew up the internet, y'all. You must listen to that episode. He is on a lifelong mission to provide information and and now products to help humans be the healthiest versions of themselves, the most vital versions of themselves in a world where there's lots of stressors, lots of toxins, lots of chemicals, lots of things working against our health. He is on a mission to make it accessible and clear and as easy as possible. I wanted to talk about some of my favorite Symbiotica products. They are the highest quality, bioavailable ingredients and they are delivered in a very advanced delivery system. It's a liposomal delivery. So I have uh, little packets that I take my supplements uh, through and they are yummy 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 <laughs> little liquids uh, that I take throughout the day. I love Symbioticas liposomal magnesium l 3 8 It was developed by a team of scientists at MIT. And it's been shown that magnesium levels um, are increased in the brain uh, by this type of magnesium. Magnesium is an essential mineral that is required for 80% of the body's metabolic functions. Not sure if you knew that. And 65% of adults in the US are deficient. It's pretty crazy. So I really love this formula for boosting my brain power, balancing my mood, calming my central nervous system, improving my memory. It's amazing and tastes so so delish. Uh, The vitamin C is one of my faves. I take it every single morning along with my smoothie that has collagen in it. Vitamin C and collagen work beautifully together. It's a powerful antioxidant that plays a key role in immune system function, collagen production, and healthy aging. Um, It is a yummy, yummy, yummy citrus flavor. It's like an orange. It just packs a punch. It's so yummy. I also really love their D3K2 CoQ10 formula. Uh, It contains the highest quality plant-based materials essential for activating over 3,000 genes associated with longevity. Most of us are deficient in D3. It's critical for regulating the absorption of calcium and phosphorus, two minerals that play a key role in the strength and density of our teeth and skeletal systems. So this is really, really important that you are getting proper levels of this in your uh, routine and your diet and your supplement routine. Um, I would highly recommend creating a custom bundle subscription from uh, Symbiotica. This makes it like a no-brainer. You don't even have to think about replacing. It comes at your preferred cadence, whether it's one month, every two months, every three months. Um, and I'm excited for you because by bundling, you can get up to thirty percent off. Plus, you can use our code almost thirty when you go to symbiotica.com. Use the code almost thirty at checkout for fifteen percent off your first purchase. This is an addition to custom bundle discounts. So people can get 45% off this is like don't even think about it. Okay, you must you must you must go to symbiotica.com c y m b i o t i k a.com use the code almost 30 at checkout for 15% off your first purchase. And again, when you create your custom bundle, which I have and I love I don't even have to think about it. uh, You can get up to 30% off a Additionally, enjoy. Did you know that 99% of our molecules are water? That's why I am a water snob. (laughs) That's why the quality the kind of water that you drink can have an enormous influence on the quality of your life. And I'm really excited to introduce you to Analemma. Krista and I have been using this around the office and in our homes every single day when we drink our filtered water. It is basically a crystal wand the crystal is filled with mother water. And the mother water takes about a year to create. It transforms regular water into a supercharged, full-spectrum, coherent state. Uh, It's pretty fascinating. And all you have to do is swirl the analemma wand through the water. Uh, So generally, I will swirl for about 30 seconds or so, maybe more if it's a bigger glass of water. But those same H2O molecules that you poured into the glass, they start forming a liquid crystalline structure. They start linking together and behaving harmonically. And through that unique process, water becomes empowered energized and alive. And this is going into your body. This is going into your cells. It is powering most systems in your body. Hydration is incredibly important, but if you are not hydrating with water, that has this liquid crystalline structure, uh, you risk a bit of chaos, uh, in the systems. And they've done many a study on this, uh, high level study. I will summarize they did on human ATP levels. ATP, um, is basically, uh, the energy currency of the cell and ATP went up Like exponentially uh, in the group that used analemma over the group that was the placebo control group. It indicated that consuming analemma water for 60 days significantly increased blood ATP levels in humans, which is just wow. So wow. Uh, So I'm excited for you to try analemma. For our listeners, you can go to coherent-water.com and use the code ALMOST30 for 15% off. I know if you're sitting there, you're like, I'm going to stir my water with a wand. Yes, it works. We've been using it for over three months now. I've noticed an increase in my energy, better digestion. And I'm excited because according to many, 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 a double blind study, Uh, and they're continuing to do studies at analemma, the biological age is reduced. (laughs) Okay, I'm about it. Go to coherent-water.com and use the code ALMOST30 for 15% off analemma. I'm excited for you.
0: I'm curious what you think about this, and I don't even really have an answer, but for people that are dating, what do you think about the spark? Like, do you think there needs to be a spark <laughs> yeah, when people start, or do you think there needs to be butterflies?
2: Yeah, so I've really looked into this because I've, I've been fascinated by this mm-hmm. a lot, and I've also been friends with guys who feel the spark every week with a different person. So I've had a ton of guys that I've mentored and worked with who literally would come back to me every week, every month, and be like, I just felt the spark at the gym. You know, I just felt the spark at the bar. I just and they just find a new person to have a spark with. Is that similar with women? With they, women, yeah.
0: Um, I think we romanticize things a little bit more. Right. And I think it's interesting because I'm sure men is that physical attraction, you know, really yeah. like that testosterone or maybe there's like a biological component. But I think for women, it's like the spark and then the story. Yes, kind of the fantasy goes. Mm-hmm. So I think they're very different in the yeah. way that they go, but. I don't think women feel the spark as much as the men.
2: Got it. Okay, yeah. And, and that was my, I wanted to get that okay. sense because I, yes. I have a similar thing. Speaking
0: tense. for every single woman yeah, no, no, on of earth. Course, of course
2: not. And I'm <laughs> yes. not trying to make gender stereotypes of either. Of course. I'm just saying from my experience yes. of speaking to people Coaching. that there's been a lot of people who I've met, a lot of men who, who feel that way. Yes. And so I was really interested and I started looking into it. And what the science showed, which I do find fascinating, was that when you meet someone that you feel that spark with or chemistry, there is actually something chemical happening. And what's happening is that your excitement level is high. Ooh, that's a new person. But your stress level is high. Do they like me? So you're experiencing oh excitement and stress at the same time. So you're like, they're hot. Do they think I'm hot? Oh my gosh. Excitement, stress. Yes. Oh my gosh. Like, uh, are they coming over here? Excitement. Oh no, what do I say? Stress. Oh no, I, I'm, I have their number. So exciting. Oh wait, they have a message back in two hours, right? Like it's, so you're feeling excitement and stress. And what ends up happening, this really, really at least blew my mind mm-hmm. and it was very fascinating for me. So you're feeling excitement and stress. Now, as you get to know that person, they give you a sense of comfort. So what happens is the stress decreases. Now you don't get that same spark anymore because your stress levels have gone down around them wow. because they actually help calm you down because you have a relationship now. And then we think the spark just went away, but actually the stress just went away. So I just want you to think about that for a second. Anytime you have thought the spark went away, it didn't. The stress went away of meeting someone new. And actually, if your stress has gone away, chances are that person's good for you because they've helped calm you down because now you feel safe around them. When you're first attracted to someone and you don't know whether they like you, you feel unsafe, right? Everyone knows what it feels like to go out on a limb and text someone and wait a day to have it back. You feel unsafe, Mm. but that feels exciting. Whereas now, two months later, you feel safe with them. You lost the excitement. So it's not about whether you feel a spark or you don't feel a spark. Whether you feel a spark or you don't, it has to be followed up with skills in a relationship. And I think that's where people go wrong. People think if we have the spark, we don't need anything else. And if I don't have the spark, it doesn't matter how many skills this person has, this can't work. And I think it's both. I think there's a need for chemistry, compatibility, and connection. And often we just take chemistry and hope that that's going to last. And chemically, that's not going to last. Hopefully. (laughs) Yeah. And therefore, from a feeling point of view, it won't last. And so I think the more we focus on compatibility and Mm. connection, the healthier a relationship can be. Now, if someone just says, all I want to feel is sparks, then great, you should move from lots of three-month relationships consistently and that will fulfill you. But if you're someone who's saying, I want a long-term relationship, please focus on the skills and the tools because that's what's really needed. It's it's almost like the difference between saying, I'm really attracted to this apartment versus I'm attracted to it, but I can also <laughs> vision where this could go. Yes. Right? Like I can, I have a vision for how this could be.
0: Yes. On the flip side of that, do you think that people should marry their best friend?
2: Oh, that's a good question. I've never been asked that before. I don't think you can just marry your best friend. Yeah, I mean, just being straight up. Like, I don't think that that's, again, a good enough reason. Because being friends and being in love are two very different things. Just like being friends and being in business are two very different things. When you add the energy of money or you add the energy of love, there's different expectations. There's different commitments. If you don't talk to your friend for a couple of weeks and you catch up, you feel like you had the best conversation ever. In a relationship, your partner may need more attention than that. In your friendship, you may be more forgiving because at the end of the day, you don't have to wake up next to that person every single day and sleep next to them every night. When you're in a relationship, you're seeing that person all the time. It's different expectations. So again, I think what we like to do is simplify and go, okay, well, if we got this part of our life right, we can get this part of our life right. And it doesn't work that way because you're always infusing a new energy when you add an element to your relationship. And it truly applies in business. It truly applies in love. And I think a friendship can be a beautiful foundation for a great relationship. But I think assuming that it already is, is where we go wrong. Mm -hmm. Does that satisfy you or do you want to dig into that?
0: No, I agree with you. It's like, yeah, it's again, I think thinking about how do people define it? Because for some people, they might define best friends as, you know, it might be something where they want the comfort of that and they actually don't want that sparky chemistry part. So thinking about how people define it, but I'm not exactly, you know, sure the truth. I was thinking about this before, and I think it's something that a lot of people in my life have been experiencing is like the growing apart mm-hmm. of being in a long-term relationship and two people that come together at a different period in time in their life. And then they find themselves after however many years being like, what the heck? Like we're so, we've grown apart. Mm-hmm and there's like a beauty in that and then there's also can be really scary because you're like okay what are we going to do are we going to choose to grow together so i'd love to talk a little bit about growing apart versus growing together
2: yeah i have a whole section in the book called you know almost like you have to make that choice to either elevate or separate and i think that couples that want to last the test of time and first actually let's let's take it back a little bit mm-hmm. first of all i don't think length of time should be used as a metric of success of a relationship. I think that's a really unhealthy way often of gauging the success of a relationship. I knew someone who was married for like 14 years, and then when they got divorced, everyone was so shocked. But anyone who knew them closely knew that they were struggling for 10 years already. And so really it was a four-year relationship, 10 years of pain, and then there was a divorce followed by that. And so I was like, oh my God, they were together for 14 years. I never thought that would happen to them. And it's like, well, no, it wasn't 14 years. It was four years and 10 years of pain. And so I think we have to start looking at how long was an actual relationship and a connection versus how long is a marriage or a partnership, which are often wildly different. Now, if someone does want a long-term relationship with someone, if that is your definition of love and success in a relationship, you're going to have to grow together multiple times. And here's the hardest part. You always grow at different times. So everyone grows at a different time, at a different pace in their own way. And it rarely happens that you're growing at the same time, at the same pace, in the same way. So now you've got one of your partners going off on their journey. So I'm someone who you know, was very aware about my passion, my purpose, what I wanted to do in the world. And when I met Radhi, she was extremely talented. She's always been extremely gifted, but she didn't necessarily know what her purpose was or her passion was. And so it's been really interesting for me watching her in that discovery. Mm -hmm. And that requires patience on my part. It requires support and it requires openness Mm -hmm. because she has to find her own path. Now she's had to do the same with me. When she met me, she was already healthy she ate well, she worked out, she puts in the hours. I was like staying up late to work. I was I love you know,
0: this. I, I love this, Jay. Yeah,
2: I was, I was staying up late to work. <laughs> I was, I love eating fried food. Uh, I love like sugar. I was addicted to sugar when I met her. And so it's like, I was also learning in a different part of my mm-hmm. life, just because I figured out my purpose and my mindset doesn't mean I figured out everything in life. And so she had to be patient with me. So Riley's given me so many insights on how to improve my health and how to have, better like work hygiene and so many other things that I've gained from her. And I think that the challenge that most people have is ego. We don't want to learn from our partners because it almost makes us feel weak and it puts them in a position of superiority, not realizing that when you can trade, and I have a whole section in this book, a chapter called Your Partner is Your Guru. And it's this idea of if you really love someone, chances are they have something to teach you. And if they can teach you in a way that isn't preachy, isn't projecting, and isn't critical, and if we can be that for our partners, you can grow together endlessly. Now, if you feel you've grown together, you've learned everything you possibly can from your partner, now there's no more learning to do, it's wonderful to grow apart. But that should also be celebrated as a success. I think we often use words like divorce, Mm -hmm. ended, like these words are so aggressive. Split. Split. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It was over forever. Like, yeah, these, these these words are so aggressive and they put this, paint this picture of animosity of, you know, of, of enemy Mm -hmm. kind of feeling, not realizing that someone could have a really healthy, as the, you know, the famous book, like Mm -hmm. a conscious uncoupling, like the idea of, Uncoupling Mm -hmm. is so much more of a healthier idea for people. And I think that's the language we need to trade that yes, you could have a wonderful relationship and you could have a wonderful afterlife from that relationship if you both wanted that. And that doesn't mean the relationship failed, Mm -hmm. it did its part. It's like you don't go to college for three years and if you don't become a professor, it's like, (laughs) no, you failed. You failed. Like you should have become a professor. No, you did. It served its part. Even for me, when I look at I lived as a monk I didn't become a monk for the rest of my life it served its purpose and mm-hmm. i think relationships have to be seen in that way of like did it serve its purpose and if it's done it's done and let's not make people feel bad about that you
0: know yeah it's it's again the the happily ever after vibe mm-hmm. you know if you're not together and everyone's like wow your parents are still together and it's like what they're miserable or don't talk and they're not in communication and they're not engaging and they're not connected so it's like what's the point yeah but it's it was interesting like just watching you and Roddy it's so beautiful because it's like when you're talking to one another you are listening to each other as if you are the guru mm. and there's an openness to being taught by each other that i feel like sometimes can get lost in relationships and i don't know if it's because there is a point and the book is it could be conscious loving by gay mm. hendricks or it could be getting the love you want, but it talks about how you sort of make the person your parents mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and then you kind of project all the pain. So I'm wondering if that's what happens with folks where they are making the person their parent. And then when you're telling them what to do, you're like, no, mom or dad. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, what I yeah, mean? Yeah.
2: So, so in this book, I talk about how there are different relationship roles mm-hmm. and we all slot into one of these. And I have a test in the book that helps guide you th- to figure out what you are and what your partner is. And so these are the three roles. Everyone who's listening, you can figure out which one you're in. And if and when you get the book, you can do the test to make sure of it. So the first is fixer. The second is dependent. And the third is supporter. So some of us are fixers. We get our value in a relationship Mm. by trying to fix the other person's problems. If the person, we see them as broken and we think we can fix them. And that makes us feel good. So we like to find projects, we like to find people who need help. And we go and make a relationship with them because we want to feel really powerful and strong that we help them. What ends up happening is that a few years down the line, we get exhausted and then we go, oh, stop acting like a kid. You just you don't do anything. You're not really involved. You're not engaged. But we set them up to be that way because that's what we wanted in the beginning. The second is the dependent. The dependent is someone who wants to be the child. They walk into a relationship looking for mom and dad. They want the other person to fix everything. They want to find someone who's going to take care of all their needs, provide for everything they need, take care of them mentally, emotionally, maybe even financially, and we go there in like a little kid. What ends up happening? You drain the other person. That doesn't end so well. And the third one is the supporter. The supporter goes, real love and real support is I'm going to help you develop the skills you need to take care of yourself. I'm not going to take care of you. What is care? Is care me saying to you, I'm going to take care of you? Or is real care, I'm going to help you learn the skills to take care of yourself? Mm. That's real love. That's real care. Like, I believe in you so much that I want you to have the tools and skills and I'm going to help you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to introduce you to things, whatever you need so that you feel safe, whether I'm here or not. That's love. Mm. One day I may die before you. If you only feel safe when I'm alive next to you, that's not love. Love is I'm going to protect you by helping you protect yourself. Mm -hmm. That's safety. Don't we want that for our kids? Don't we Mm -hmm. want that for our partners? Like, If my kid, I don't have any kids, but if I had kids and if they only felt safe when I was in the room, that wouldn't be a win. Mm -hmm. That would be a loss Mm -hmm. because you can't always be in the room. So I think we do that with our partners. So a supporter says, I'm here to help you develop the skills you need to take care of yourself. Mm. And I'm ready to develop the skills I need, whatever you need to teach me to take care of myself. And so I set that up because the fix is almost like the parent. yeah. The dependent's like the child. And then the supporter is the collaborative one. Mm. The one who recognizes that the only person who can take care of me is me. And the only person who can take care of you is you. Mm. And so when I help you take care of yourself and you help me take care of myself, that's real care. That's real love. How can people watch when they're slipping into that? Because yeah. that's kind of
0: like people go into that unconsciously. Mm-hmm. And I've seen in relationships with myself, I've seen in relationships with friends where you don't even realize it's happening. And then you're like, wait, whoa. Yeah. Is there a way that we can be more conscious about that journey so that, you know, because it's it's an opportunity for healing. That's why yeah. we do it, to bring it up for healing. So it's important that it comes up and you could even work through it together. But how can we work with that energy?
2: Yeah, so I think the first step and the reason why I put it in the book is is this level of awareness, like even knowing. Yeah. So I'm a classic fixer. I, I have mm. that natural ability whenever anyone's working in coaching or yeah. like it's, it's <laughs> yes. a natural element of wanting to help people that way. So I'm a classic fixer. Mm. And for so many years in so many relationships, I tried to solve all of my partner's problems, whoever I was with. I was just trying to fix their problems. And I wanted to be the knight in shining armor. And I wanted to be the savior. And I wanted to be that person. Only to realize they were never satisfied, no matter how much of a savior I was, because there was always more saving to do. And they never really fully saw me as a knight in shining armor, because now you think you're a knight in shining armor, but literally you're a person with a stretcher, right? Like it's like, you want to be, you want to be this idolized version of a savior, but really you're just in the emergency room every day. And now there's no knight in shining armor, right? You just, you're like a person who's bad at their job in the the medical department. And so what ended up happening was having tested it out. And I think people can relate to that. And Mm -hmm. that's my experience. I realized that being a fixer didn't set me, the other person or the relationship up for success. It set us up for failure. So how do you become vigilant of it, which is your question? The way you become vigilant of it is when someone asks for help. Mm. What's the first thing you say back? If your partner asks for help and you go, oh, I'll take care of that, don't worry. And we do that at the start of relationships because we again think, oh, they're going to think I'm so nice and they're going to think I'm so likable. As opposed to that saying, it's different if someone says... Oh can you grab some milk When I'm, when you're out And you go No I'm not going to do that You should do it. Like it's not that kind of thing But like A good example is When me and Radhi first started Dating Like Radhi would always ask me And this this is going to annoy so many people But I promise you it's, it, it works uh, Radhi would always say to me Like how do you feel I look in this And I would always be honest with her But one of my favourite responses After I'd be honest with her Is how do you feel you look in mm-hmm. this and, and she'd always be like, no, you just tell me, like, do I look good yeah. or not? And I'm like, I think you look beautiful, but I want to know how you feel you look in this. And when we'd be out picking furniture for our apartment or whatever it may be, we'd look at the piece of furniture and she'd be like, oh, no, you just decide. I'd be like, no, what do you think? Like, what's your taste? And so what I find is that when your partner is trying to outsource something to you, you may feel like doing it for them makes you more likable, but actually you're setting themselves and yourself up for always having to answer that question. And when you rather say, well, well, what are your thoughts? Like, I want to know what you really care about. I want to know what you believe in. You actually are strengthening their inner voice. So one way to be vigilant is when you're asked for to solve a problem, first, take a second on becoming the fixer. If you're a classic dependent and you want someone else to solve your problems, that can be a lot harder because you already don't feel you have the confidence to fix anything. So actually it can be really hard when you feel like the dependent The anxiety is really hard being independent because you want the other person to deal with it. And now if they're not dealing with it, you don't feel strong enough. What I'd say is that anyone who feels weak or has that self-doubt, it comes from not a lack of belief or a lack of quality. It comes from a lack of ability and abilities can be trained and learned. And I always say this to people, if something makes you nervous, if something makes you unconfident, if something makes you scared, you can't just believe in yourself. And I think a lot of people talk about Mm self-belief and really it's about self-respect and self-respect comes from doing hard things. And so if you're dealing with something that you don't feel you're good at, go and try and get decent at it. Go and take a course, get a coach, get a mentor. Mm go out there and read a book about it, listen to this podcast, right? Like when you're you're searching for the answer, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden your skill starts to develop and now the problem starts to feel easier to solve. And so as a dependent, especially if you're single, start solving problems yourself and guess what? You're going to feel so much self-respect and now your self-doubt goes away at the root. And so those are two ways to be vigilant Mm -hmm. and there's plenty more that I explain. Yeah, I love those
0: examples. So- I was talking to our community before you came and um, this is something that comes up quite a bit with women. And I think a lot of our community are people that identify as women and they're finding that in the dating world or out in their relationships that they're growing, you know, perceived to be growing more than their male partner and that there's a discrepancy between the growth rates. And I'm curious about how, much you're seeing that trend where women are deeply interested in personal growth, self-development, all of these things and there for me is a part of that that's self-hate led mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and actually not self-love. But then there is that moment where they're doing a lot more work personally than the men. Are you seeing that as a trend and what would you suggest?
2: Yeah. And I love the distinction you just made about the reason we work on ourselves mm-hmm. too. Like it's it's almost like and again, I know we're both not making broad generalizations we're trying to yeah. base on what we've experienced. If society has set up women to doubt themselves, society has set up men to pretend they're strong. And they're both opposite sides of the same coin. So men feel they have to be the protector, the savior, the provider. To have the answers. To have the answers. And so they're trying so hard to present that facade that they don't want to be vulnerable and they don't want to do the work. Because if you have to show you have to do work, that means you're not done. And they're scared that if I show a woman I need to do work, then maybe she won't respect me and love me because isn't that what they want? And regardless of gender, whatever you mm-hmm. identify as, I think we all feel this about anyone. You may be with someone and think they're with me. It's a corporate example, but it's, it's true. I was I was working with a CEO recently, CEO of an extremely successful company, you know, very highly regarded, achieved so much in the world. And I've been working with him on his mental health. And we're seeing a lot of progress. So I said to him, at your next offsite, I said to him, I want you to tell your team the journey you've been on with your mental health. That's all I want you to do. Just share with them this journey that we've been on together just with your direct team, not the whole company or some press article, just the people you work with daily, your C-suite, the C-level. And he said to me, he said, Jay, I don't think I can do that. And I said, why? He said, because they see me as the strong one. Mm -hmm. He said, they see me as the powerful one. They see me as the one who has it all together. If I tell them that, they won't see me that way. And I said to him, I said, what's more powerful than you sharing your truth? What's more strong or courageous than you being honest with them about what you've been through? Isn't that what real. Strength is, but the challenge is that, and so transferring that experience into relationships, a lot of people are feeling, well, if I show them that I'm vulnerable, aren't they with me because I'm all so, I'm all sorted? Right. And so I think that's the issue. And then of course, the other way around, it's like, oh, well, I'm working on myself. I'm showing that I'm building myself up, but then I'm scared and my self-doubt will actually push a good person away. Right? So if we have this conversation with the genders that we were talking about, if women are feeling oh no, but if I doubt myself too much, he'll run away. Mm-hmm. And then he's thinking, well, if I show her that I doubt myself, then she'll run away. And so we're, we're at this mm-hmm. like tension. And I think that requires, that's why the tools in the book of like, why actually if both people, regardless of gender, regardless of identification, if both people have compassion for each other, have empathy for each other, understand that this is another imperfect human That's where we go beyond gender and beyond expectation and beyond all of this and actually can deal with each other. But that only comes when you've gone through your own work of, when you've seen the deepest, darkest parts of your own soul, you're comfortable when someone's exploring theirs. Mm -hmm. But if you haven't done that, it's very uncomfortable to watch someone else. Mm -hmm. The other thing I'd say is, If you feel you're growing at a faster rate than your partner, that should result in more compassion, more empathy, and more patience. That's actually a result of more work. The result of more work is not more judgment, more critique, and more spotting of weaknesses. That is not. And I think that's the challenge sometimes in in early spiritual circles or early self-development or personal growth, you start thinking, that oh, I can see everything clearly and I can see all these faults. And now we start to critique. I've worked with so many couples where men and women have come to me and said, my wife criticizes me daily. My wife has changed my entire diet. Mm rather has changed my entire diet, my workout plan, and so much in my life. And yet I've never felt criticized or judged. And that's genius. Like, Mm. it's unbelievable the level of coaching she's given me in an area of my life that I was negligent about. And I've never felt criticized. I've only felt encouraged. And she's always set the example because she's doing it regardless of whether I do it or not. So it's not like, oh, you have to do this with me. Oh, look at me. Look what I'm Mm -hmm. doing. Oh, look what all these other guys are doing. Why don't you do this? (laughs) Why don't you look like this? Like, how does that make anyone change? Like, How does it make anyone But that's the kind of stuff we say Mm -hmm. to the people we supposedly love. And so for me, if you genuinely believe you're growing spiritually, that's more compassion, more empathy, more love, not more criticism, judgment, and fault finding.
1: If you find yourself in your single season, if you're someone who is not in a relationship, I would love to have a little chat. So I was single for about seven years. And during that time, I resisted it so much. For about half that time, I was like, get me out of this. I was trying to find the one. I was serial dating. I was just desperately trying to find my person. And about halfway through, I realized that this season was really here for me. And I had to choose it in order to make it as powerful as it really wanted to be in my life. So I embraced this in between and went through an initiation that, you know, in coming out the other side, not only did I find my person, which wasn't the ultimate goal, but I did. And I now find myself in such a healthy relationship. And I know it's because I took that time during my single season to come back to myself. So if you are someone who is just feeling You know, you just want to find your soulmate already, or you're uncomfortable spending time with yourself, or you're worried about what others think about your singleness, or you feel pressure to be in a relationship, or you have anxiety that time is running out for you to find the one, or you only feel validated by being in a relationship, or maybe you're in a relationship, but you're thinking perhaps, you know, it's time that you really come back to yourself. Maybe you abandon yourself in relationship a bunch. So I would love to invite you to the Sacredness of Being Single program. This is a program that I created in the wake of my single season where you can release all judgment and pressure around being single, really define what your soul desires, and begin to collaborate with your soul. I want you to take back the narrative of this season for yourself and really choose you. So this is a Program that you can do on your own time, but we also have a two hour live circle with me once a month where we can integrate, connect, heal, and come together to ask questions. We move through different exercises, writing, soul journaling. I also do sound medicine. It's really a very unique experience every single time that we gather in circle. So if you're interested in the Sacredness of Being Single program, please, please go to sacrednessofbeingsingle.com to learn more. I cannot wait for you to discover what's possible during the season, and I am so honored to help guide you on that path.
0: One of my commitments this year was to buy fewer, better pieces, and I have completely changed my whole wardrobe to high-quality pieces that I'm gonna wear forever, and I've felt so much better Better in my body, in my clothes, out with people. It's really, really increased my confidence in a major way. And it's also made me feel much more like an adult. And it's also really helped establish this foundation of like beautiful fashion that I'm really, really excited about that I feel really proud in. So my fit right now is these kind of baggy jeans that I'll wear every day that get washed maybe once a month. And then this really beautiful oversized sweater from Jenny Kane that I love so much. It's their oversized cotton pullover. I'll like tuck it in the front. It's like a cream, super, super soft. And I wear it most days of the week. It looks good on Zoom calls. It looks good out. I can throw a jacket or a leather jacket over it. It's just incredible. It is so, so, so soft. And then on my feet, my favorite thing is the oiled leather mule. I have them in natural and it's this like light creamy color that just peeks out the bottom of my jeans that I can wear with a bunch of different pieces that's perfect for work or perfect for meetings, perfect for anything. It's kind of like the updated ballet flat, much cooler, made in Italy, really, really nice and really, really comfortable. It's like a wardrobe staple. So I really, really love Jenny Kane. They are a beautiful like California style brand that has really gorgeous pieces that are going to last you forever. Ever. They have really beautiful home items, but I love to get their sweaters and mix and match with really cozy, comfortable things. Their shoes are also my favorite. I've had a bunch for a lot of different seasons. And if you're looking to invest in high quality pieces that are going to last you forever, that are going to up level your wardrobe, but also be comfortable, because that's where I'm at right now is comfort is key. I highly suggest Jenny Kane. I buy Jenny Kane products for friends because it's a really beautiful gift. And I think with our code, it's going to help you to up level your wardrobe and feel really good about what you're wearing i love the oversized cotton pullover which is gorgeous just tuck it in any pants you're going to look chic and amazing i love the oiled leather mules i get them in natural you can see them on my instagram i'm posting them all the time so i'm excited for you guys to try out jenny kane if you've never experienced the quality the beauty the grace the elegance the richness the chicness it's truly truly incredible So you could go to JennyKane.com slash almost 30 and get 15% off with promo code almost 30. So JennyKane.com slash almost 30 and use code almost 30 for 15% off. And Jenny is J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E. That's J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com slash almost 30 and use code almost 30 and get yourself a really beautiful piece that's going to last you forever make you feel up leveled make you feel chic and look really good and then send me a little picture i want to see us all in our jenny kane pieces so we can just live our best most glorious and chic lives together in jenny kane jennykane.com slash almost 30 use code almost 30 for 15 percent off Okay, this is my new favorite fact that you're going to be telling all of your friends, and it is that the drugs that were taken previously in the 50s to manage period cramps were tested exclusively on men. Y'all, the drugs that were created for period cramps were invented in the 1950s and were tested exclusively on men. It is wild that there has not been more innovation when it comes to periods, but Deloon, a company that sponsors the show that I love, is changing that with dietitian formulated solutions that relieve our symptoms while actually supporting cycle health. You know that almost 30, we are so about knowing and understanding and loving your body. We've done a lot of episodes on our cycles and understanding the various beautiful phases of a woman's cycle. Because our cycles affect Every aspect of our wellness period pain, mood, sleep, skin, metabolism, energy, and more. So, I am someone that had incredibly heavy periods for a while when I had my IUD before I got it taken out. And it was really, really miserable. I literally had to take over the counter painkillers and it just never really worked. But I loved that I found Daloon because it supported me in my PMS and period symptoms. All month long while relieving cramps and PMS. So with Deloon, you don't have to miss out on life because 92% of their customers had relief and they are nutritional solutions that are dietitian formulated to work with your cycle health, not against it. So they create these really beautiful, effective, drug-free supplements for period cramps, PMS, and optimal cycle health. So you can really get the relief you need naturally and start feeling like your best self. They're super high potency. They're fast acting. They're supplements for period cramps, PMS, and optimal cycle health. You can get 23% off your first order of full cycle hormonal support by DeLune with code almost 30 at cyclehealth.com slash almost 30. So you can go get 23% off your first order of full cycle hormonal support with DeLune with code almost 30 at cyclehealth.com slash almost 30. That's cyclehealth, C-Y-C-L-E-H-E-A. LTH.com slash almost 30 and get 23% off your order plus free shipping with code almost 30 and support your natural, beautiful, healthy, happy cycle and body today. Yeah, that's what I'll see oftentimes where it's like, I'm becoming more spiritual. I'm doing the work. And then the focus becomes everyone else is not, (laughs) it's like, then you turn everyone, you're like, And I just realized that my mom's a narcissist and they're codependent and all these things. And then they turn and label everyone with everything. It's just, it's kind of heartbreaking because you're like, okay, that's again, you know, not the point. It's kind of like part of the path.
2: Yeah. And hey, I'm compassionate to that person too. Going back to this whole conversation, like the reason why I'm compassionate to the person that labels is because we're doing that for our own security in the beginning. So when you can finally see and you're like, Okay, and I'm not pointing at you for real, but... (laughs) Yes, to you, Tommy. Narcissist, like whatever. (laughs) Like when you start labeling people, really you're doing it to show yourself, I am learning, I know, I'm understanding. So I also have compassion for that because in the beginning you have to protect yourself. Mm -hmm. It's like when someone first makes a big shift in their life, they have to cut other people out Mm -hmm. and they have to look at the difference and be very black and white because they don't know how to do it otherwise right? If they don't cut that group of friends out, they won't be able to stop drinking. If they don't cut that group of friends out, they won't be able to disconnect from Instagram or whatever it may be. And that's an early stage of change. So we don't want to be, we don't want to hate on them either because we understand it. But I think when you are that person, you want to be aware of it so that you don't push people away.
0: Yeah. It's like, how is it leading you to more separation? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, let's be mindful of like what, again, it's always coming back. What is more separation? What is more separation? In the book, it talks a little bit about purpose too. Like yeah. purpose as it relates to love and relationship. So what is that correlation? Because I think sometimes people think about them separately.
2: Yes. Yeah. Before we dive into that, I wanted to touch on one more nuance. Yes. Because you've, the questions you've asked have been so great. And I'm like, I want to make sure that we touch yes. on that. There's a nuance also of like, when someone's starting their journey, and I deeply mean this, and it took me a while to learn this, even as uh a coach in this space, was not everyone's going to learn from the same books you read, from the same podcasts you listen to, and from the same teachers and guides and coaches that you found your truth through. And I often say to people I work with, one of my favorite things I get to do is my podcast. And I sit down with so many different people from so many different walks Mm -hmm. of life. Some of them are neuroscientists, some of them are athletes, Mm -hmm. some of them are actors, musicians, models. Some of them are philanthropists and professors. What I'm hoping is that that allows multiple different people Mm -hmm. to come on their journey of personal growth. Like I remember when I first sat down with Ray Dalio, who's become uh, a dear friend at this point. Ray Dalio is the founder of Bridgewater Associates, highly sought after in the financial world. If anyone has a partner or a friend who's well-known in finance, Ray Dalio is like, and I didn't even, when I first met Ray, I did not know that about Mm -hmm. him. Uh, and it was really funny because all my investment banker friends and hedge fund manager friends, after that episode, they were like, Jay, you're so cool. Like, We love you <laughs> now. I was like, what? Like, you're like, but- Kendall Jenner was on last week. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like, for them, Ray Dalio is yes. like their big person. Yeah. And so when they hear Ray talk about meditation, and Ray does meditate. Ray's been meditating for years, and he credits meditation as being one of the most successful parts of his success. All the hedge fund managers and investment bankers are going, oh my God, I need to meditate, right? And they could have heard about it about meditation from me for like years and it didn't move them. So people have to hear about it through a voice that affects them and not my voice doesn't affect everyone and that's okay. And you know, it doesn't work that way. So I feel like when you're watching your partner not progress on the journey, it's often because you're trying to get them to go on your journey, not theirs. And so if you can open and broaden your mind and think, Maybe they're not going to read the same book as mm-hmm. me. Maybe they need to listen to this episode of this podcast, right? So anyway, I wanted to touch on that.
0: Yeah, I love that. Because it is, I and again, I said it before, but it's like I think for women, there's like a communal aspect to what who we are and what we do. Even with Roddy, it's so interesting hearing your guys' values because it's so masculine, feminine. If we're looking at just the archetypes of the energetics, yours is purpose, focused. hers is family. But it's like for women, we're like, okay, we're doing this thing. Come on, everybody. Join us. Join us in this thing. But… Again, there's that moment, and I think a lot of women are going through this, where it's almost like personal growth, self-development, work fatigue, mm. because we've just been inundated with so much Ugh. of it. And I just also want to be mindful, like, how much is this personal growth work or information supporting you and loving yourself more? Yeah, And that's the period of it. You know, this needs to support you in a depth of love for yourself and acceptance that goes beyond really being concerned about what everyone else is doing in their world too.
2: Yeah, that's so so beautiful. And I I couldn't agree with you more. And I deeply, I mean, I was raised by a mom who did everything for me. So, Mm. you know, I have a lot of, I've had a lot of perspective on that from day Mm. one, where my mom woke me up, got me ready for school and for my sister too, made us breakfast, Mm. dropped us to school, made us pack lunch, went off to work all day she learned a new career so that she could be flexible for me and my Mm -hmm. sister. So she quit her full-time job, took exams in a whole new career path Mm -hmm. so that she could be self-employed to set up her own work-from-home situation Mm -hmm. so that she could pick us up. And she didn't, you know, she never did exams beyond 16 years old. Like, she didn't get to go to college or anything like that. But she did all of that just for us. Mm -hmm. And then she'd pick us up from school, make dinner for us, help us with our homework, and then we'd go to bed. And so... I saw like Superwoman mm-hmm. and at the same time I saw someone who, you know, didn't have enough time to love herself or didn't have enough time to do things for herself. And that pains me now looking back because obviously as an 8-year-old as a 12-year-old, there's very little mm-hmm. understanding you have of the full picture. <laughs> or You're what like, you mom, do. what's your self-care? <laughs> like? Yeah, exactly. I wish, I <laughs> wish, I wish. And, <gasps> and I do it now as much as I can, course. of course. But at that time I didn't have that and I look yeah. at that and I'm like, wow, my mom gave everything for me and my sister to be set up. And I know that I'm fueled by that love. And I know that the love I try to give out in the world is my mom's love that she filled me up with. Like, you know, the book, she's one third of the dedication of this book because she literally taught me how to love endlessly. And so when I look at the pressure that she had and the fact that she never made time for herself and she did set me up, I really feel that and we'll go back to your purpose question afterwards, and it's Mm -hmm. kind of linked to this, but I do feel that the point of all of this work is to lead you to being happier, healthier, and more healed. And the path to being happier, healthier, and more healed is not beautiful in the external sense. It's difficult. And so just because your life looks tough or difficult, it doesn't mean you're on the wrong path. Chances are you're on the right path. But I think what you brought up, Krista, which I love, is that there's a spirit of self-love that kind of underpins all of it. And really that comes from self-forgiveness and grace. And that is a cultivation in and of itself. And so actually what I would say, based on your thoughts, which I I appreciate and I agree with, most people's self-development work should actually be aimed at developing self-forgiveness and grace because that becomes a path to all of this. Because hey, whether you want to learn how to meditate or whether you want to work out more or whether you want to eat healthier or whatever you want to do, I promise you Mm self-forgiveness and grace are going to be a part of the process because you're going to miss a day at the gym. You're going to miss eating that healthy meal. You're going to not want to meditate for three mm-hmm. days in a row. And the skill that helps you with all of that is self-forgiveness and grace. Mm-hmm. And so I encourage you all to make your personal growth journey about self-forgiveness and grace mm-hmm. to, to assist what you said. Mm-hmm. Which Instead I, which of I
0: think... changing who you are.
2: Correct. Yeah. I
0: think that's the goal, you know, for a lot of people is how can I change who I am? How can I make myself different instead of accepting where you're at. Yeah, the purpose piece on relationships and purpose.
2: Yeah, the reason why I bring it up is kind of related to this. And it's the idea that Albert Einstein once said, if you want to be happy, like focus on a goal, Mm -hmm. not a person or a thing. And it's like the idea that I think a lot of people make people their purpose. And when I've worked with people, especially people who've been in relationships for a long time, Maybe your partner was the entrepreneur, so you sacrificed your journey to help them. Maybe your partner was the breadwinner, so you put everything you cared about aside and went all in for them. That's fine for a bit, but when someone's done that for 10, 20, 30 years, what I found is a lot of people come out in their 50s and then feel like they didn't achieve their potential. So I've seen people who potentially look happily married or in relationships for 10, 20, 30 years, And then one person comes out and says, we worked for your dreams, not mine. Mm -hmm. And now they feel misled. And so what I do in the book is I create a scenario-based support system, regardless of your financial position or where you are, to help you make sense of how do we decide, how do we consciously make an effort to decide how we both help each other focus on our purpose of where we're at. And again, it's a consciousness thing. What happened in these relationships that I'm talking about is the person who was the breadwinner, they assumed their partner should help them and they never talked about it. And so what ended up happening 30 years later, they hate each other. Well, one of them hates the other one for saying, you took me away from my purpose. And they're like, no, I didn't take you away. I was just taking care of the family and you were helping me. And so it ends up being this awkward thing where it's like, we just never talked about it. (laughs) And so I feel like when you have a healthy conversation and you're like, well, I think, you know, if you can give me 12 months to experiment, could you hold it down for 12 months? Okay, we experiment. Okay, I got something. Can you do this? And I think having that conversation up front just saves you so much stress and hassle. And I think we avoid that conversation because we want to be the supportive partner. We want to be the partner who sacrifices everything because look, I look how much I love you. And I think that just misleads us and the other person. So I would encourage you all to make the pursuit of purpose a healthy pursuit in your life. And I call it a pursuit rather than finding your purpose because the pressure of finding your purpose, again, stops you from loving yourself because you're like, I don't have it. I don't know what it is. I don't have it. I don't know what it is. And all I'm saying is, hey, just have stuff you care about and don't let go of it. That's all I'm saying. Have something you care about and you don't let go of it. It could be something as simple as going for a coffee with your friend every week. It could be as simple as helping out at a homeless shelter or a soup kitchen. It could be as simple as working on your creative pursuits of art or sport or whatever it may be. But just don't give it up because you think now you have to grow out of it. And I think that's, in the book, I really give step-by-step focuses on how, no matter what your situation is, how you both don't have to sacrifice But there's a way of figuring it out.
0: Yeah, that's huge. I think also too, it's what I found during that. And I've learned this over time, just even watching my parents or other relationships. So much can be remedied or supported by talking about it. You know, even with a lot of the, a lot of my women friends are the breadwinners. Like I think almost more than half now are breadwinners. And it's like, there's a dynamic, there's a power play happening within the relationship where they're the breadwinners you know, the husband or partner or boyfriend might not be. And so there's this like power struggle, but there's not an actual conversation of like, hey, if I'm making more money, what's your contribution? Or how are we going to work with this energy? How are you feeling? You know, there's so much can be remedied by communication. It's so wild.
2: Yeah. And I guess that's why we've always had communication, communication, Mm -hmm. communication. But, But the challenge is that we want to talk about how people behave or their actions yeah. but we don't want to talk about our intentions yes so we'd rather talk about like you did that wrong no. you should be doing this or i expected this from you rather than this is what i'm feeling this is what i'm thinking how are you thinking about it and that's because we're scared that if we say it out loud the other person doesn't have the humility to hear it mm-hmm. we're scared that if i tell my partner hey i'm the breadwinner i really need your support that they don't have the humility or the lack of mm-hmm. ego to say yeah i think you're right that's what we should do mm-hmm. and that's why what we have to realize is it doesn't have to be about winning and losing mm-hmm. the reason why ego gets involved is because we want to win and the way i see it in relationships is if i win and you lose we both lose because we both are on the same team and if you win and i lose Then we both lose because we're on the same team. So we have two choices. We either win together or we lose together. Mm -hmm. There's no third option. Whereas we think there's a third option of I won and you lost. You both lost. And so my encouragement is in a relationship, if you're genuinely committed to working it out with someone, first of all, bring up conversation in a non-confrontational, non-aggressive way. Talk about things when they're not heated. We wait till things are heated to say how we really feel yeah. Rather than doing it when it's cool and just saying Hey, you know, like I'll often ask Radhi I'll be like, and this is when we're not out, not having a fight Or not in a disagreement I'll say, is this, going, is this relationship going in the direction you want it to go? Mm-hmm. But that, relation, that question has to be asked in a safe space mm-hmm. Because what I don't want her to think is Jay thinks it's going in the wrong direction mm-hmm. Which is not what I'm saying I'm asking a question because if we're both going to be in this, I want to know if it's going in the direction you want and I want it to go in a certain direction. And then I want a safe space to say, hey, you know what? It's not quite going in the direction Mm -hmm. I want. Here's why. But it's like, it needs to be a safe space Mm -hmm. where I don't feel that person's going to destroy me for raising a concern. And I think we've created conversations and communication where anything that's uncomfortable to talk about or anything that's difficult to talk about You never talk about it. Mm -hmm. We saw our parents do that. We saw families do that. We saw friends do that. And now we only talk about uncomfortable things when we're screaming at the top of our lungs. And that pushes the other person apart. So I think humility, I think presenting things properly. I mean, there's this beautiful research that shows that when you give feedback to someone, if you're walking together in the same (laughs) direction, the other person's more likely to digest it. If you're sitting at a round table instead of opposite each other, it's less confrontational. It's creating less animosity. But if you're sitting opposite each other at a table, it feels like I'm against you. Mm. It doesn't feel like we're together. And so the idea of can you create that environment externally and internally that if I really want this person in my life, we're going to solve this together. If I really want them in my life, it can't be about getting one up on them. Like that that can't be where we go.
0: Yeah. And conscious loving, they say that most arguments when they're unconscious are a fight for the victim position. Yeah. So you're like, who's the victim? When me and Lindsay have a confrontation or even me and my husband, it's, we'll usually go to the beach. And if I have something that I want to talk about or she does, it's like, you'll kind of massage the first part of the conversation to be like normal. Yeah. And then you'll bring it up because it's like, okay, we're regulating our nervous systems together. And it's nice to have the walking in the same direction because not only is it like that symbol of we're walking together, but it almost gives your eyes and your body a little bit of a break Yes. to just be, okay, I'm looking ahead. I'm not, we're not face to face. Like mm-hmm. there's a face off element. Yeah. And so being in nature and finding the right environment is really important. You know, being outside, being at the park, kind of breaking the pattern of potentially being in the home or being in the bedroom or being in all these things, I think is so nice.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I love that you do that. Mm-hmm. And, and it's such a valuable skill. And, you know, I think learning how to fight, I talk yeah. about in the book about fight styles. And the reason why I brought up fight styles is I was a huge fan of, you know, Gary Chapman's five love languages. Yeah. And I think that's beautiful. But I was looking at all the Gottman Institute research mm-hmm. shows that learning how to fight learning how to deal with conflict is core to a long lasting relationship mm-hmm. and if you look at our weakest skill in a relationship it's communicating during conflict why do people struggle in a relationship because we don't know how to talk about hard things we don't know how to have a conversation about things we disagree on mm-hmm. we do, like literally you can ruin the whole night because you disagreed about what to watch or what to eat like everything can go Because we don't know how to talk about things that we could debate on. And so I created this and inside the book, there's a test that you can do that helps you figure out what your fight style is. And there are three fight styles. You have venting, hiding, and exploding. Venting is I want to talk it out and I want to talk about it right now. Let's solve this. Let's figure it out. Hiding is I need a break. I need to go somewhere by myself. I need to let myself emotionally regulate and then I'll come back when I'm ready. And exploding is like, you know, like maybe I'm like, I just burst into tears. I like mm-hmm. just like, I need to blame you. I need to just like be aggressive. Maybe even it can be aggressive and it could just be like, I just feel, mm-hmm. I just don't know how to control anything. Hiding is like, at least I know where to go away. Venting is like, but sometimes we explode mm-hmm. and we all experience all of these three, obviously. But I hope you find your one. And it's important to know that because otherwise You're a kickboxer and your partner's doing MMA and it doesn't, you know, you can't fight accordingly. And so in our case, I'm a venter. I Mm -hmm. want to talk about it. I want to talk about it now. And Radhi's a hider. She wants to go and reflect on it. And in the beginning of our relationship, I often said to Radhi, I felt she didn't love me Mm -hmm. because she didn't want to talk about it right now. I was like, you obviously don't care. Because we mm-hmm. just had a big argument. and If you need to walk away from this space, that means you don't care. That means you don't, you're not invested. That's just not true. Her way of investing is taking out time. My inv- way of taking investment is showing I want to talk. And so I think knowing your fight style and being aware of it and being aware of your partner's fight style, I realized Radhi needed two days. I wanted it now. So we're talking one day. Let's meet in the middle. Let's give you some time but let's not leave me in anxiety. Mm -hmm. Let's create a space where we can safely connect. And so when we communicate about our fight styles, when we communicate our relationship roles, when we communicate about all these things, we start getting tools and skills and abilities. When we don't talk about any of these things, we just create the story in our head. You're not here. That means you don't care. You're late. That means you don't care. You never turn up. That means you don't care. But those are just stories that we're creating without letting that person tell us their story. And we never know what their story is after many years. Mm. I'm so
0: excited about the book. (laughs) I'm so excited. Last question from me. What is uh, one hope that you have for people when reading it or when having it?
2: My hope for people when reading it is that it's not about completing the book. It's not about finishing a book. I think a lot of people today, it's like, I can finish a book. I completed a book. I listened to it. (laughs) What? Of of course. It's just such a funny concept. Yeah. And my hope is that you use it as a consistent guide, a consistent companion, a consistent workbook. There's activities, there's exercises, there's tests, there's quizzes. There's just a lot of material. It's not meant to be read just to finish it. It's there to help you at any point in your life when you're struggling and you flick to a page and go, talk to me. I want people to have a slower, longer, deeper love. Mm -hmm. And so I hope that your process of moving through the book is slower, longer, and deeper Mm -hmm. because that will lead to that type of love. Mm
0: -hmm. So grateful you're here. This is so much fun.
2: This was beautiful. You asked me so many. You're such a brilliant interviewer. You asked me so many questions I haven't yet talked about, haven't been asked. I really hope everybody's been listening. Like, I really hope this serves you. I I want Mm -hmm. you to have a beautiful love story in your life I want you to have the most fulfilling, powerful, abundant love in your life. But I want you to have the skills in order to create it. I don't want you to hope and wish and wait and want for it. And so, Krista, thank you so much for sharing this with your community and your audience. And I'm so grateful to you. Thank you.
0: We love you guys. We'll see you you soon. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thank you so much. Jay Shetty. Again, the book is Eight Rules of Love. You can listen to Jay on Almost 30 again by searching Jay Almost 30 to find the first episode we did. And thank you for sharing with a friend, for subscribing to Almost 30 and for reviewing the show. We appreciate you.
1: And thank you to all of our sponsors. You can find discount information in our show notes, as well as on almost30.com. As always, just bringing you brands and experiences that Krista and I have vetted for you and we love and use. We will see you on the next episode. Until then, we love you. Be well. We love you. See ya.